Well, hello everyone. My name is Martina Anderson. I'm Sinn Féin MEP for the North. I am head of the largest delegation in the European Parliament from Ireland. We represent every blade of grass across the 32 counties of Ireland for Sinn Féin MEPs. Uh, very proud to be here representing all of the wonderful people of Ireland who voted for us and even by the way those of you who did not. I have got a lot of responsibilities as has uh, all of the MEPs. I'm not going to list them all here but throughout the series of these broadcasts I'm going to be touching on different strands of work that I do. There are things that are very close uh, to our hearts as Irish Republicans and myself personally, particularly Palestine and I was the proud chair of the Palestinian delegation and worked very hard along with the other members of the delegation until a thing called Brexit was called. And I wanted to say at the outset that it broke my little heart surrendering the chair of that delegation but I am someone as many of you uh, would be the same yourselves that wouldn't take on a responsibility like representing the people of Palestine unless you can do it with a heart and a half and unfortunately my heart and half was pulled into Ireland to represent the people of Ireland and I had to give a lot of my dedication to that. So I wanted to give it to an MEP that was going to imply himself, herself, as I had done, and allow me the space and the place to mobilise and lobby here in the European Parliament with Team Sinn Féin on a diplomatic offensive that started a few years ago. So let's start at the beginning. Where, how did we get here? Um, well, it started after the uh, the Tories decided to take on UKIP. They wanted to try to remove them as a political opponent and therefore through the discussions that had been taking place about whether Britain should stay in the EU or taken out of the EU, the Tories decided that they would be the party, if elected, into government that they would call an in-out referendum. And that's exactly what they did. Interesting enough for us in the north of Ireland, it has been and is known as Brexit. Now, Brexit would actually, the clue is in the word, in some respects, it's about Britain. Because the north of Ireland never featured during the discussion, during the campaign about Brexit, it was all about Britain. It was all about the implications that it would have on Britain. I remember Martin McGuinness. Um, it's hard to talk about Martin in the past. But I remember Martin endeavouring to get the time frame of the referendum moved. But David Cameron and the Tories didn't give a monkeys about the fact that in the north of Ireland we had just come out of an assembly election and didn't really have much time to campaign. After all, Brexit wasn't about the north of Ireland, it was about Britain. So after the, um, 
the elections in February of our March of 2016, we, um, we had a very short window leading up to the 23rd of June 2016, which was the day of the vote for the referendum. We in Sinn Féin decided it was absolutely impossible for us to associate ourselves with any side of the official campaigns led both by the Tory administration. On the one hand, the Leave and Remain was run by either oligarchs and elites and global corporations, and on the other, it was racists and xenophobes. And we decided that we would not be involved in that. So Sinn Féin ran its own Remain campaign. We assessed that in the in the context of the Good Friday Agreement, you could not have a situation where part of Ireland was in the EU and part of Ireland was out of it. We needed full regulatory alignment across the 32 counties of Ireland, which meant we needed to have the same kind of standards of food safety, environmental protection. Part of Ireland couldn't have one standard and another part have another. And both of that complying with the Good Friday Agreement, that would not be possible. We also were very clear when we, and we knocked doors all over the north of Ireland. And we were clear with people that the EU needs reform. Sinn Féin has been critically engaging with the EU. And we have been criticised by our opponents in Ireland and here for not being federalist, for not being more European. Well, we're not, because we put Ireland first, and particularly its people. But we also recognise that environmental protection, human rights, all of those rights are crucially important. So out we went on the doors knocking for the, um, the vote to, uh, to be returned for the North as a Remain vote. And thankfully it was. We believe had more people in the North understood Brexit as they have understood it now that the vote would have been higher. But people were a bit fed up with canvassers knocking at doors. They had just come out of an assembly election. And uh, we found it hard to mobilise, hence the reason why Martin wanted a longer lead-in time to it. But we were where we were. We, 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 some of you woke up, for some of the rest of us, we were up all night at polling station in Belfast, just watching the count and uh, listening to what was happening elsewhere. And, of course, the rest is history. You woke up to the fact that Britain was leaving the EU. Sinn Féin left um, different parts of Ireland that day and met in Stormount Castle in Martin McGuinness's office. Assessed the fact that this was going to have big implications for the Good Friday Agreement was incompatible with the Good Friday Agreement, incompatible with the functioning of the assembly operation that ministers who had currently uh, stood on their feet at that time saying that all of the legislation that they introduced had to be compatible with EU law, north-south areas of cooperation, the whole strand one, two and three was going to be affected by Brexit. So we said we needed to start a diplomatic offensive. And that is exactly what we did. We left, we um, had our leadership come to the European Parliament. Martin McGuinness arrived for a f- number of meetings. The first uh, day he had 
14 meetings in one day. He cut off the plane and he never stopped till he fell into his bed that evening. He met with the leaders of all of the groups here. We met with most of the influential players. And I must say, sitting watching them be influenced by Martin uh, was remarkable because he was the man in the room that they listened to intensely, asked him questions and concurred with his view that Europe had a successful peace process with all of its faults, that we had a lot of work to do, deep appreciation for the peace funding and the support that we have had from the EU, the Barroso Task Force and all of the things that Martin was very familiar with and that we needed Europe's support to ensure a special arrangement, a special circumstances for the North to remain within the EU. So Martin opened doors for MEPs, those of us who had been here were in rooms that we had found it hard to access ourselves. But as soon as we said that Martin McGuinness was coming over, they wanted to meet him. So we worked the Parliament and got the Parliament to understand more about the peace process. However, Fina Fall and Fina Gale, mainly Fina Gale, had denounced what we had been saying as fantasy. They said that designated special status for the North to remain within the EU was not going to be achievable, it wasn't legally possible. So Sinn Féin in the Assembly and in Leinster House and the other institutions went to work and in Leinster House there was a motion brought forward supported by Fianna Fáil and by ourselves and a majority vote. We again, we had engaged with Guy Verhofstadt, who was appointed in this parliament as the chief negotiator representing the parliament. Michel Barnier was appointed as the negotiator for the commission. And a group, an unknown group to ourselves, established themselves in October and they were called the Border Communities Against Brexit and they became very active and we became very interested in their activism because they represented a broad sway of opinion and sectors. And we started to monitor and engage and, tr and try and work with them because we were all speaking the same language. And in February, the party, that was going into February 2017, the party had um, published a document on designated special status for the North to remain within the EU. And during that year, as we were coming into it, I must say that, you know, the deluded of the delusional were saying, Theresa May is not going to trigger Article 50. This is going to go on like this for years. And we knew she would. We tried to tell the Parliament to prepare itself, to get itself ready that um, the arrogance of the British establishment should not be lost on them. There's enough history between many of the delegations and governments here and the British government to know that, um, that they will leave on, they will do it on their terms and they will try and create as much havoc across Europe as they've never left anywhere without leaving it in a mess. And it was a surprise to some people, but not to Sinn Féin, that on the 29th of March 2017, and that's a date to remember, 
that Article 50 was triggered. And people started to talk, what's Article 50? You know, people, Joe and Jean Public, you know, would have been unfamiliar with terminology about Article 50 and it was a formal notification by a government to, uh, to leave the EU, to formally leave the EU. And the clock started to tick. And then, as people were saying, well, you have two years, as the legislation, Article 50 states, to negotiate your, your way out. So here we were having a divorce settlement, more or less. And uh, Britain had to divorce itself from the EU. And like any divorce settlement, it was going to get messy. It was going to get challenging. People were going to uh, find themselves, you know, in dispute about how they should sort of leave each other and try to do so in good terms if possible. And then what does Britain do? It decides to call a general election. And Europe is going, this clock is ticking. We need to negotiate. You're leaving. There's a process that has to be put in place. But oh no, there had to be a general election called because David Cameron, when he lost the vote in terms of Brexit, what does he do? He he deserts the sinking ship. So we have, we have Theresa May had been appointed and she decides, you know what, I'm going to come back stronger. People are going to vote for me and I'm going to come back with a bigger mandate. Oh, the fool, the fool. We all know what happened there. She lost the majority. And of course, we then had the Democratic Unionist Party, the DUP, rolls in behind her to prop her up. Now, don't forget that during that campaign, there was starting to emerge the allegation around dark money and Saudi Arabia intelligence, and links to people that people were saying were shady, and the DUP being paid for Brexit once the people paid the price. So the DUP decided that it would prop up the Tories, and the Tories decided, well, we're going to just ignore the Good Friday Agreement and all of its parts because we're supposed to be acting with rigorous impartiality here. And we're not supposed to get involved with any one particular party in the north of Ireland and but decided to ignore all of that because they were being propped up by 10 DUP in a confidence and supply arrangement. And the dark money was still there, still bubbling away underneath the surface. And it wasn't just in Britain that people started to Google who is the DUP. Like, the DUP has been in this parliament longer than Sinn Féin. We all have heard of Ian Paisley and his antics when he had been here, and obviously Diane has been here, and Jim Allister had been here. Someone would have thought in the European Parliament they would have been well known, but people were coming to us. Who's the DUP? So we decided we're going to play impartiality here. We're going to play, be really impartial. So let's just take some quotes from the actors of the DUP and give them out. And to the shock, and all of MEPs and others once they realised that they were dealing with flat earth homophobes who had a few of the world that isn't really shared by a majority thankfully so um, shortly after that we had a new shock appointed and that started to change some at least of the dynamic in uh, in the south of Ireland 
because Enda Kenny had been identified in Europe as the poster boy of the EU, you know, and and I'm not saying the Antichok Leo Farakar is not, but he certainly brought a different, uh, we'll acknowledge that, he, he and Simon Coveney, um, at least started to talk about defending the Good Friday Agreement in all of its parts. When Article 50 was triggered, a process in the institutions had to be put in place here in the Parliament. And the first of the institutions to express their views about what the British had done in triggering Article 50 was the European Parliament. And therefore, a resolution was brought to the Parliament and it was headed by Guy Verhofstadt, who wanted as many of the groups as possible that he could secure to sign up to this. Each of the groups had appointed their lead negotiators on Brexit. I was appointed as the lead negotiator for the group GUI NGL on Brexit. And I had been involved in the early days in the meeting with Guy Verhofstadt and the other members of the Brexit steering group. So as we were developing the resolution, Guy Verhofstadt and the others resisted putting any language in about the Irish peace process. So we resisted signing the resolution. And there was all sorts of discussions and negotiations took place. The president of our group, Gabby Simmers, was in a press conference explaining that we were not signing the resolution. Meanwhile, who she had appointed as, and the group had appointed as one of the negotiators, was still negotiating it. 60 seconds before the deadline to sign the resolution, I secured language into that resolution that the Good Friday Agreement would be protected in all of its parts, that there would be no hardening of the border in Ireland. We have a border in Ireland, we're petitioned. And the unique and special circumstances of Ireland would be taken into account. We had to send a number of our activists down to Gabby to tell Gabby that we had actually signed the resolution on behalf of the group, which is not something we do, we always involve the group in the discussions, but they had actually given us the latitude that if we could secure in the negotiation the language that was going to allow us to be part of the resolution, that we could go for it. And that's where it all started. Because in fairness to the 516 MEPs who voted for the resolution on that day, when it was being brought to the Parliament, many of them regarded the Good Friday Agreement and the peace process as nothing more but a handshake. That this peace process in many respects was uh, something that the two warring tribes, is maybe how some of them feuded, got together and this is how peace was formed. Among the 89 who voted against it, UKIP, Conservatives, was unfortunately the two Unionist MEPs from the North of Ireland. But the lion's share of the Parliament rolled in behind it. So we knew there was a job of work to be done. Brian Carthy is appointed as what some of you may know in the North of Ireland as a SPAD, Special Advisor 
for GUI NGL on Brexit. Gabby, we put her into the Brexit steering group as the president of the group once we had got what was needed and she was going to drive it there. And Barbara Spinelli, some of you may have heard of Spinelli, there's a building here, her father, uh, quite famous uh, MEP, had been involved in, we broke up the areas of the files. Ireland, citizens' rights and finance. And of course, yours truly, with Brian and Team Sinn Féin, and mainly in my own office, but obviously across the other offices too, took on to drive an understanding in this Parliament about the Good Friday Agreement in all of its parts. So between that and the second resolution that came to the Parliament, where we secured even further language, as well as the Good Friday Agreement and all of its parts, no hardening of the border in Ireland, the unique and special circumstances being taken into account, it was stated that if Britain does not remain in the custom union and the single market, the North must in some form. And we also got references to the areas of cooperation. And in that resolution, we got over 560 MEPs because we had worked the Parliament. We had explained what the Good Friday Agreement and all of its parts meant. We explained the All-Ireland element of it and all of it goes with that. We then came up to, there was lots happening, lots, lots happened in between. We got legal advice, the GUI NGL went and got legal advice to show that the case that Sinn Féin had made for designated special status for the North to remain within the EU was legally possible and permissible within EU law. And a firm in Doughty Street Chamber produced legal advice to that effect. We then came up to the December resolution where um, we had, as you can remember, the, uh, the hawks from the DUP had been in touch with, uh, with Theresa May when she went to sign the initial uh, joint resolution or the joint report um, and she was pulled out because they were having a bit of a hissy fit and they went home and they tried to settle them. And anyway, we, they came back in December and on Taoiseach had told us we had cast iron guarantees. And some people fell for that hook, line and sinker. Some in the EU fell for the language that was put in by the British and Irish government that they had given principal commitments and all of that. And that was in December. Theresa May hadn't landed back when David Davis had said, <laughs> they were only statements of intent. Didn't really believe those, didn't really mean those, they're not really firm guarantees. And I have to say, I thought, well, thank you, David, because usually you're not so stupid to expose your hand so soon, because you made our job a little bit easier. And the whole parliament was up in arms. How dare these people come over here and sign a document that they say it's of commitments that they have made and then go home and tell us there were only statements of intent. So we worked the parliament again and secured into the next resolution that the British government had to fully and faithfully implement what it had said into a legally binding text. The parliament overwhelmingly again supported our position on that. So, of course, the British government were given three months to put what they had committed to into a legally binding text. <laughs> and it will not surprise you that what we warned the Parliament would happen would be that the British government, once it has discovered your bottom line, would try to negotiate downwards. 
and trying to loot and they spent their time and are still spending their time since December diluting what they had committed to. So there was a draft, a draft withdrawal bill, Brexit withdrawal bill, put on the table and there was a protocol in Ireland and you had Theresa May saying there would be no British Prime Minister would agree to that on one hand and she was writing to Donald Tusk saying that they agreed with a protocol needing to be put in place. So that was in uh, that was in March. When we seen the protocol, we had said the protocol needs to be strengthened. And the British government bought proposals back on the protocol because really what they decided to do, they says, never mind this divorce, we want to talk about the future relationship. Now anybody that understands EU law will know that Article 50 only means you can sort out your divorce. Once you're divorced, you can then work out your future relationship. But you, you can work out the broad parameters of it, but you can't negotiate it until you're in the first, until you're separated. But of course, the British government wanted to do it when they were still married, when they were still together. What kind of relationship are we going to have when we're in the first? We want that sorted out. Nonsense stuff. No, stuff that is not legally possible within EU law. So that's where it is up until now. There is so much more that I could tell you. I hope you've been able to be you followed me okay. I hope I haven't lost you. I hope that I have whet your appetite to know that Team Sinn Féin in the European Parliament, there are four workaholic MEPs. But we also have a team. So there's nobody really to try to calm us down because we have Team Sinn Féin who are also work ethic that you've never seen anywhere else, I don't believe, uh, among any of the other delegations. We all will start early in the morning, we leave at night, but we don't just work hard, we work smart. We are here to represent the people of Ireland, north, south, east and west. We are here to be across not just 20 committees, but 40 committees. We have an eye on everything that's going on, but we are also very, very concerned that what the DUP and the British government is doing with the negotiations, not just about crashing out, but would lead to a reinforcement of partition in the island of Ireland, that we could have hardening of the border in Ireland and we could destroy the Good Friday Agreement in every part. And I believe for the DUP, for them, that would be job I can assure you that Team Sinn Féin is working hard day and night to represent all of your interests, whether it's business, whether it's small-medium enterprises, whether it's women in the voluntary community sector, whether it is people, farmers, whether it is people in the rights sector, the people that are really deeply concerned, and rightly so, about rights protections, protection being destroyed as a consequence of Brexit. So I have so much to tell you that I could talk for Ireland and maybe talk too long. So stay tuned, come back and listen to us next time. Engage with us in whatever platform you would like to. This is the first podcast I've done and I hope it's not going to be my last. Slangophile.